The three key things you will learn from this podcast are why storytelling is such a powerful tool, how storytelling can be used to break down taboos, the five key elements of good storytelling. Welcome to Amplify Change Podcasts. Today, our topic is about My Voice is Strong and Loud, the power of using storytelling in your work. Our guests today are Doreen Mayanja from Hurwid in Uganda and Ondiege Matthew from Dance into Space, Kenya. Doreen is an experienced public speaker and works for Hurwid, which is an organization that advocates for and promotes awareness of albinism. Ondiege is an experienced dancer and choreographer. He is the director of choreography for Dance into Space, an organization that works with people with disabilities using dance and movement to help them express themselves, increase confidence, and break down barriers about taboo subjects. Ondiege, why do you think sharing one's own story is so powerful and how can it influence change? I am obviously going to respond as an artist because we as artists have always uh, expressed ourselves. We've always felt free to take charge of the opportunity to celebrate the freedom that we have, freedom of expression, that is. And so telling one story is really very important in a personal way because it allows people to empathize with you, just like in all art forms. People put themselves into your shoes and they're able to feel like you you feel at that particular moment in any given situation. And that is very important because it allows them to come to terms with the crisis that you're going through and even to empathize with you and to find possible solutions, if at all it is a crisis that they can get out of. And so telling stories using dance and using that mode of expression is very important and very impactful because these individuals are able to participate. You know, it, it's very interactive and therefore your audience, as it were, your listeners or people who you want to address or the target community are able to identify with that crisis and are possibly going to take part in solution finding. So that is why I think it is uh, important. You say that you're an artist. Have you ever used storytelling? Yes, I use storytelling all the time because most artistic performances are always based on a particular story. Well, sometimes as contemporary dancers, we, we just express ourselves through sheer movement, you know, just for the beauty of it. Sometimes just kinesthetically, we're just supposed to express that athletic beauty of performance or of dance. But in most cases, choreographies are based on stories, stories that are individually concerning or, or concerning particular communities of people or stories that relieve certain circumstances that individuals are going through. So yes, we use stories all the time in our performances and we always tell these stories to communities who always face this kind of crisis so that they can also get out of it by, by looking at our work and, and coping the modes of, of telling the stories and coping with the situations. Doreen, have you ever used storytelling? Sharing one story is so powerful. reason is uh, when you share your story, experience, there are people who could be going through the same and probably they are admiring you. You act as a role model. And if they are going through this experience like you braved, it encourages them that probably they can also make it. So when you share your experience, they can pick a leaf, how you manage to go about it. And it encourages them. They even get to know that they are not alone. And what they are going through is not the end of the world, but someone trailed through before. And 
they can pick up from wherever they could have fallen. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what first prompted you to start speaking about your own experiences? I'm Doreen, um, an activist working for Hurid. I've lived with albinism. I'm 40 years old now. I managed to brave this because I was accepted by my parents. They knew a little bit about it. It is genetical. In my father's background, his great-great-grandmother had albinism. Actually, that's why I get my surname. I was named after her. So, like, because they knew it, despite all the myths and beliefs, they were a bit literate. They knew how the condition comes about. And after all, I was the only girl uh, for mine. The rest were boys. So kind of like I had to take on the roles. She had to groom me in a way you could groom any other child, a girl, with or without albinism or without any special need. So kind of like this gave me a firm foundation. I had comfort where to bounce back in case I found any accusations. I knew where to go and get relief, get comfort. And they had confidence. They believed in me. They felt that what any other child can do or can become, I could possibly become that or even more because that's how what it has proved. So like in school, I was always confident despite all the low vision. My mother was a teacher. She could always go and explain to the teachers how I could be handled, uh, sitting in front, buying textbooks, writing big letters for me. So kind of like that's how I managed to brave. And I'm happy. I was brilliant. I was doing well in school. So teachers liked me. Meanwhile, like during missing in class, it could be boring. So they were all concerned always to see that I don't miss any class. I started teaching. I got a, I, I, I'm an artist, I specialized in ceramics, fashion, textile, and vocational arts, equipping people with skills. But when I was teaching at university, uh, they used to pick interest in me, especially my students. They were wondering. So that's how they kind of like said, ah, oh, but madam, for us, we have people like you in our village, but they don't go to school. But how did you manage to make it? So kind of like my uniqueness was always attracting numbers. Students could even change their courses. They could come in first year doing a different course. But then their other colleagues could tell them that, I oh, know you had better join our course. Uh, our lecturer is so interesting. She's cooperative. She's outgoing. So eventually I felt like I had to pass it on because uh, my motto is we are changing the image of persons with albinism, especially women and children. We want to be positive. And we want to do something. We want to impact society in a positive way, despite all the odds, the myths, uh, the torture, the sacrifices. I decided that's how I started passing it on, reaching out to parents, encouraging them that if I manage to do it this way, they can also, their children can also do it. They only had to change their attitude towards their children and love them, give them equal rights, and whatever they're supposed to get as family members. That's how I came up with that. Wow, such a great experience. Are there any downsides to sharing one's own experience? And if so, how can one prepare for those? Some people are not real. They can be negative or they can try to strategize, but intending for the negative. They strategize. So at times when you share, they want to find out how you made it, but not for the good, but for the bad. So you just have to be strategic, knowing the kind of people 
you're sharing in, you just get to know your audience, the kind of audience you're going to, and then you know your limits, how you share. Maybe some information you may not dispatch, or you have to be ready, you have to be strategic, and you know how to handle the outcomes, because at times it's inevitable, you have to share. When you really feel that the majority need what you're sharing, you despise the minority and you just get ready for whatever will be negative, the downsides of it. Ondege, the people you work with mainly have disabilities, right? Why is it so important to give them a voice in this way? It is important to give the people with disability a voice in this way and our way is the mixed ability way. By mixed ability, I mean we work by mixing people with disability to work together with those without disability. This also emphasizes the element of equality so that they can feel like they're one and the same and they're all equal. And therefore using dance and movement to give the person's disability a voice is very important because it helps in breaking down the taboos associated with disability. The moment they feel equal with others, then they begin to function like the rest and they don't see themselves as a minority as such. Performance, in this particular case, dance and movement, is very important because it allows them to feel respected and, and therefore strengthens them as minorities. Being able to, to get the strength and the self-confidence that they require, this, this broadens horizons around stereotypes which, which they face. And uh, people begin to see the difference between them and others while they begin to see the equality between them and others. And these people are the general society. And once they see the difference between them because they've been put on the same platform with those without disability, then it opens up opportunities for discussions over issues that are typically sensitive, you know, matters that they may not be able to, to address in, the, in, in, in certain circumstances. And therefore, this kind of opportunity gives the society a reason to begin to discuss issues that affect those with disability. And it's a very good entry point to talk about stigma and things that we not ordinarily talk about. Partly disability because of our cultural uh, background and also sexuality, you know, things that we culturally don't talk about in the open and other things that oppress us. Are there any kind of challenges you've been able to experience working with? You talked about mixed... Mixed ability. Mixed ability. Yes. Any challenges you've experienced? Well, I think the, the only challenge, it's not so much, and that's, that's the beauty of it because we have to work towards overcoming them, is that... When we put people with disability in their own corner, then they become victimized. Some of them, when they are integrated, this is a process of integration, when they're given a challenge to, to feel included, then they sort of shy away because for a long time they've been put in their own corner, they've always felt the victim. And so one of the challenges is that they, it takes time. It takes time for them to feel properly integrated. Uh, to feel properly accepted and therefore we employ lots of creative means to 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 make them sort of warm up to sort of break the ice and well it's a matter of time i think that's the only challenge that we have that people with disability take time to to really feel integrated to really feel accepted and that is so because of the kind of background or the experiences they've had in the past given our cultural situation and that's probably the only challenge we have that it takes time and it takes a lot of energy and positive thinking, mentorship and courage and encouragement from others without disability to make the person with disability to feel really accepted. And therefore, we've had to employ so many means, creative means, 
to, to break these barriers. When you talk about creative means, what do you mean by creative means that has enabled you to break those kind of barriers? As, as a director, I have always employed the techniques that we experience in performance in the theater. You know, the games, mm-hmm. their physical exercises, their mental exercises, sort of things that cut across therapy, you know, using theater, uh, meditation, Okay. yoga, mm-hmm. you know, these are things that we always employ to make people feel free and to make people feel um, welcome to, to be part of an experience. And it has worked. It has worked so well because in theater, theater games and exercises enhance certain levels of, of team dynamics and uh, acceptability and also gives people a lot of courage to express themselves. I think the first and the most important thing is to make people be able to express themselves. Beyond that, then they can always talk about other issues that affect them in a free way. Do you think personal storytelling breaks down taboos? Yes. This is because we need to tell our stories. And when we tell our stories, we are heard by people. Hearing somebody else's story or you telling somebody your own story makes you feel healed in a way. It's healing. I think, you you know, for example, when you receive bad news, you always want to know exactly what happened. You know, it was an accident, yes, what happened. And, and you somehow tolerate that. You somehow accept whatever has happened if you know the details, if you know the story further. If you told somebody passed on and you were not told how the person died, it will disturb you more than if you told how that person died. You know, okay, maybe it was an accident, maybe he drowned, maybe he was stabbed. And that makes you sort of accept that. And, and you, you try to go home thinking about about that, but in a more acceptable way. But if you don't have full stories, if you don't have a complete picture of what exactly transpired, it becomes more horrifying and therefore traumatizing. So yes, storytelling breaks taboos because it promotes self-confidence and uh, respect. This is also because when you tell somebody your own story, they identify with it and they put themselves in your shoes and they try to imagine if they were you, how they have dealt with the situation. That imagination, that moment when somebody thinks about if it were me, what would I have done, is already a way of breaking a taboo. Because you simply saying, I have to address that issue. However sensitive it is, and somebody finds a reason or some words to go around that issue to talk about it. And uh, definitely, as I've said earlier, it broadens the stereotypes and creates a, a space of mutual understanding. Of, of differences and because you not know, taboos get in the way of, of personal development somebody feels they can't be who they really are and, and stories make taboos debatable Doreen, do you think storytelling breaks down taboos the taboos are there not in line of work but in line of work as well because some people believe it that uh, people with albinism carries good luck eh? that we move about with fortune. So some people have a feeling that employing a person with albinism, she'll come with good luck. But most of these people think that that's how they have been thinking and that's what we are trying to change. They normally employ the girls or like in saloons or anything, but when then they are exploiting them just, not paying them because they put that kind of like tendency that after all, I'm helping you, if you ask for a pay or anything, I'll just check you. So they keep the law, they keep down, they fail to ask for pay or what is worth because they feel if they raise their voices, they'll be. But meanwhile, these people believe that uh, dealing with a person with albinism will bring about luck or even marrying one. That's why you find that uh, most girls or ladies with, or with albinism are single mothers because like this gentleman or whoever is a father of the child only had intentions and at times if things don't work out the way they are for instance 
we have a colleague. She happened to get a man who married her for around, I think, eight years. They were together. They had four children. But this is a guy who thought that maybe marrying this woman, wealth will drop maybe from heaven or anywhere. It would multiply just within a second. And finding out that it wasn't, it's all about hard work, you know. That's what people know, must know. It's commitment and hard work. So he tried to butcher her, kind of like eh? murdering her, beating her, getting rid of her. Actually, right now, she's a single mother. They, Of course, the man got rid of her. He was not seeing the wealth according to the taboos and beliefs. But at least now she got a job in a, a Christian school where taboos are not so much in a, I should say, a religious school. That's why she's working now, but she's a single mother. That's what is kind of, those are the taboos associated with work in the line of work when it comes to persons with albinism. And do you think personal storytelling breaks down taboos? Yes, it does, because eventually it disapproves. Because like most girls, it breaks down taboos. Because like now, like that experience, you tell them that now you see this one, the intention was getting wealth. She married her, but of course, when you are not working, just waiting for wealth to come, it's not true. They come to find out that truth. And we just have to share. We have to tell stories. And they get to know that truth. It breaks taboos. Because these taboos were also saturated. There was storytelling. That's how these taboos saturated. And they got impact on people. So to break, kind of like to also dilute them, we also have to tell the other side of the story. Ondege, can you give us examples of the sort of impact using storytelling in your work can have? It's a process which it's not really a, an immediate end product, but it is something that is continuous. Performance and using dance and movement, body movement, is infectious. And that is because dance does not come like dance alone. I'm talking from, from the African point of view. Dance is music and music is dance. When you talk about infectious, <laughs> what do you mean? When you talk about infectious, the way music infects people, in the way that if it was playing, then even without being asked to dance, you already dance in your inside. There's something that that auditory motif sort of strikes you and, and you begin to respond. You know, in a way, because it is music. And therefore, dance in itself is therefore that infectious because it comes with music. Now, the reason why I'm saying it becomes infectious is because when you dance in public and when the music and dance is happening at the same time, the people watching you want to join you. And sometimes you don't really tell them, hey, come and dance. They actually come and dance with you. The moment you dance in a public space, and it has happened to us a lot of the time, even now we are in a project where you're using dance to talk about SRHR, and we are just performing in a market in Sierra County in a village, the moment the music begins, drums roll, and our dancers get into the space, the community, the people who are selling, the people who are in the shops, the people who are buying, stop, and they join us and they start dancing. And in fact, we have to tell them to stop so that we can arrange ourselves and begin to present what we're presenting because they've already occupied our space. But that is very advantageous for us because the moment they've occupied our space, they're willing to dance with us, means they're willing to listen to us, means they're willing to... To, to be stopped and they're willing to be told to continue. So we already take over and we can control their lives as it were at that particular moment. This easily opens up discussions. Okay. Therefore, because it is that infectious. Doreen, can you give us some examples of the sort of impact storytelling in your work can have? I, I will share out of experience what impact it has had already. Because like now, as I said that are uh, changing the image, first of all, since I'm an artist, I've been doing a variety of things as Doreen. When you tell a story, 
And when you reach out with practical skills or something visible and tangible they can see, many people started believing in us. And I always told them that uh, you just give us a chance, give us an opportunity. Because like I do equip fellow women because apart from working with Hurid, I also run an organization, a community-based organization for women and children with albinism, whereby I make sure they're economically empowered using life skills like uh, doing crafts, making soap, the things that have demand, they're demanded, where they can also use them. And when they're economically empowered, actually, we are really changing the image. We are not so much of beggars, at least. We just do something if someone feels that they support us, but not just dishing out money, but paying for services we are providing. We did decorate weddings. We can decorate parties. We make party decorations. We bake. We do bakery. We can bake functional cakes, all types of functions. So kind of like now parents are no longer worried, actually. They are. It was gradual, but at least they have hope. That, yeah, if I get a child with albinism, can also do this. A woman with albinism can be employed. We do anything, any possible services. We do laundry for people. Yes, we can do laundry for people. We reach out to homes. The women can do laundry for people for a pay. And that changes their lives in one way or another. And we also try to maintain very good hygiene, you know. We make sure that uh, whatever we are doing is quality, so it has to attract. Despite all the fears and the like uh, in people, the beliefs, so we are trying to disapprove. So this is all achieved through sharing, going public. Eventually, you gradually impact society, and we are really changing the image. Ondege, you're an expert working on these issues. Let's say a scenario where a person living with disability has had an opportunity to share his or her own story. And later, she or he feels stigmatized because of maybe the feedback he or she has got from people through sharing her story. What are some of the recommendations you will be able to give to people on how to build or how to do good storytelling sessions? especially on issues to deal with disability, maybe people of different race, color, or albinism? Yeah, I think I can have two or three recommendations. Using the example I've given about performance, body and movement, it's always important to know that in a story, there's always the bad and the good. We call it the antagonist and the protagonist. If you don't have a good protagonist in your story, that is the good side, then there might be a danger in your story falling apart and therefore people may not take you seriously. So the best first recommendation is uh, have a good, bad, and have a, a very properly structured good and bad story or good and bad characters in your story. <laughs> when you talk about bad, what do you mean? <laughs> there's always, you know, like in every movie, there's a bad guy and there's a good guy. Mm. You know, the story is about whatever, maybe it's a thief. There has to be a policeman to counter the thuggery. It's a bad, it's an evil guy. There has to be some good angel to counter the evil. If it is something so good, then there has to be some evil to show the goodness of that good, to show the power of that good. There has to be something negative to show the power of positivity. If you don't have a negative story to counter your power, to a negative character or issue to counter the power of positiveness, then the, the story is not really that powerful. Uh, so if you have an issue, 
it's good to have a negative issue and bring it together with the positive issue and let people be able to take sides because then you provide kind of a, a two teams, you know, one good, one bad, and people sort of want to fall this way or that way. So the best thing is uh, you always must have issues that work in opposite. Then the second recommendation would be you want to make your stories as visual as possible. That's why we are comfortable with dance and movement because remember, action speaks louder than words. You can say something, but somebody can easily dismiss you or something like, okay, that one you picked from somewhere. But if I did it with my body, then you can't say I picked it from somewhere because you can see my body doing it in the way that, you know, couldn't have done it without my body. So the best thing beyond beyond having that uh, protagonist and antagonist is uh, make images depict the story and let your listeners or your audience or your target pick their own story from there. Let it speak for itself. You're an activist, right? Yes. You've been working with people living with disability to create change, to address issues that are coming up in the society. I'm just curious to know how you've been using issues of dance and movement for advocacy. Yes, uh, recently we have been mingling with the policymakers at the lower cadre level of, of policymakers. And by this I mean not the national leaders, not necessarily parliamentarians and senators and governors, but people who interact with the common person. And these are the chiefs, these are the assistant chiefs, the sub-chiefs, these are the village elders, these are the opinion makers, the shapers of the opinions. Members of county assembly. Members of county assembly also. Okay. And, and of course, representatives of the marginalized communities. These are the people who mingle. They, they interact a lot with the villagers. They inter interact a lot with the citizens. And they're not in, in that higher class. And by that, it is not very easy to mingle with the legislators, for example, because you always have to make appointment after appointment. You know, the people on the ground, you don't even have to make an appointment. You just walk into the chief's office and say, Chief, this is what we have here. And our examples have been that we are able to present a depiction a picture, you know, a picture that tells a thousand words about a situation on the ground and the chief would act on it very easily, very quickly. If it is not an image like a photo or it is a small video of our experience on the ground, it can be our own people, like a person with disability, we walk into the chief's area and demonstrate, make a performance in front of the chief and the chief can immediately empathize with that and see the true nature of that situation and can I easily take action because those kind of performances also send pointers to where that problem, that crisis is. So, for example, we're walking into chief's compound with a person with disability who has been traumatized or rose, who has just been sexually violated. That picture and that performance of sexual violation and that performance of rape, for example, will make the chief understand certain things and we can direct the chief to go to other place where we've come from where more people with disability have been hidden or a particular person with disability is being hidden and yet being violated. So this has happened to us. We've had chiefs, especially the chief, because this is a government organ and he can mobilize a force like police. They can take action to actually arrest somebody who raped a girl in the village. And they got, 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 they got this boy because we went with a performance to the chief's compound. So we have very many examples where we've used dance and movement to depict real situations in front of opinion leaders, uh, in front of um, policymakers, and they have taken action based on that. Doreen, what steps would, would you recommend to listeners who want to start sharing their own stories and their own work? One thing, you have kind of like to study the environment. What kind of story 
the, the society, you have to know the audience that is to listen to your story. Because like now, me to start telling my story or sharing and encouraging all parents of children with albinism or fellow people with albinism, you first see that you share something in common whereby their esteem is so low or they don't believe in themselves at all. So you first get to know that uh, the audience is positive. You must make sure that you will impact because uh, with your experience, you must know that uh, when you share your story, this is something that has been touching those people. It has been touching them. Therefore, okay, you share the same, you have the same problem and you overcame. So you don't have to share your story. For instance, I'm sharing about uh, self-esteem, how you can make it, decision-making, determination about albinism. Then I go and share in an audience where even they don't know about albinism. Maybe they have not seen anybody with albinism suffering or it may not carry any kind of like impact. You have to be in an audience whereby at least you've identified that kind of problem you want to address. It will really have an impact. And you've really seen people who are downcast and they are looking at you as a role model. And those who can even be ambassadors. I always used to share my story to my students. Because they were my students, I had to encourage them. Because I'm their student, they have to go and share about me with their parents. And then also encourage their parents or even at, they were ambassadors, even at their villages. Because basically my office at the university, oh my God, I was always getting parents. Uh, my very students were the ambassadors. Some were coming from islands and they could tell me, but madam, for you, you don't have maybe like the sores on the skin. How do you go about it? Then you share about the sun protection creams. And then they got concerned. They were always asking when they go back to wherever they stay. They had this courage. They could spread the information. They could communicate and tell those people that, no, this is no longer an issue. We have, our lecturer is with albinism, but she can do this. She can do that. And this is how she goes about it. You have to make sure that uh, where you're sharing the message will not be left there, but it will be passed on and it will impact or help other people. That's one. Step number two, you must be very confident. You must be knowing what you're sharing about. You must have enough information to dispatch. I wouldn't be sharing about albinism when I don't know how to protect my, uh, in case they are asking me, now how about the love vision? How do you go about it? How about the sores on the skin? How do you prevent them? You must be knowing and even the variety because like we stay in different places like people in the villages may not access sunscreen but at least you must be knowing the various methods those which are appropriate for all classes the very low class middle class and the high class because like you find that people will tell you that for us we can't even have sunscreen but you should tell them that okay before you apply a sunscreen if it's very expensive put on protective clothing you just know the time when you should go out in the field to work. Because I could tell them that I also used to go and get feeds for animals at home. But I knew that I had to wake up very early in the morning, like at 6 a.m. So that by 9, when the scorching sun is out, I'm in the house or I'm in the compound. If not, if I'm going out in the field, I should put on long sleeves. I should put on trousers. 
despite all the culture, because like at my in my family, our culture in the center here, they don't allow women to put on trousers. But for my case, I could do that because I knew it was protective. So you must be knowing the various ways of overcoming a problem appropriate for each kind of, there is no excuse telling me you don't have money for buying sunscreen. Before you get a sun protection cream, have you tried to protect yourself? You with a hat, whether from the local materials available, don't tell me you have, don't have money to buy a hat. You go cut fibers and with a hat to protect your skin. You must be well equipped with what to share. And another thing, you must also consider, first step, consider the audience where you're sharing. If your data or information will be passed on and the people will act as ambassadors, and two, you must be confident. You must have enough to dispatch, leaving people fully satisfied, contented with what you're sharing. Use creative means. It can be graphic. It can be it can be drawings. It can be pictures. It can be photography. It can be video. It can be recording. Because, you know, for example, now we have a law that allows the recording of certain uh, scenarios or situations by phone. It can be accepted in a court of law as evidence, okay. just a recording. So let's take advantage of the digital technology and the platforms that we have. Let us share our stories through these platforms. Let's make use of some of these gadgets, phones, mm -hmm. you know, um, cameras, sound recorders, and, and let's share them because the internet does not lie. If you share it today and it, it nobody takes action, you can say, actually, I shared it and you can go back and find it. So let's also be able to, to take advantage of those opportunities and share them as quickly as possible with people um, so that justice is not delayed. So using creative means also implies that we have to take advantage of the gadgets that we have, like, like phones and whatnot, to record stories, to tell stories and to share stories. Okay, you've talked about gadgets. Um, you work in rural community in CIA. Yes. Are there like availability of these gadgets in a rural setup? Yes, maybe not very advanced, but uh, I mean, even grandmothers have phones, and phones actually can record sound. Even Kabambe, Mulika Muizis record sound. Okay. They have their voice recorders around them. They can also, some of them, they can take photos. So it's possible. Of course, there are challenges. Uh, some people, some communities are still disenfranchised. They, they don't have ability or access to some of these gadgets. But there are many means, you know. Another thing also is being able to share with others, even by word of mouth. Just talking about it, giving other people a chance to listen to you. That is also one way of, of activating and, and many more. So yes, we can even record them just by writing down somewhere. You know, a long time ago, we used to cherish the idea of writing down, just making personal notes, having diaries. You can have a diary where you just record some of the things that happen in life. And, you know, sometimes they, they really serve a good purpose. So, yes, let's, let's be creative and let's take advantage of the communication channels and the platforms that we have to share and record stories. We've come to the end of our podcast today. Thank you. Great to talk to you today. And thank you for being our guest. Hello, my name is Ondiege Matthew of Dance Into Space. Please take a look at my how-to guide on how to use creative storytelling and communication to combat stigma. You can find it on www.amplifychangelearn.org. 
speaking is Naweje Doreen Mayanja. Please check out my how to guide on how to speak confidently in public. You can find it on www.amplifychangeline.org. Thank you.